So uh, as we get into kind of what the next four weeks are going to look like for us, we're really going to look at what is the vision of this church. Like how has the Lord led your leaders, the body of elders that uh, the Holy Spirit has called out among us? How has he led us to kind of giving some direction for what Alliance Bible Church will become? And so, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I'm excited to get into this. And, and you've heard us even talk about our uh, purpose statement quite a bit in different sermons and stuff like that. We're, we're working together to restore hope to all people, right? So this series, we're calling it Restore Hope, but we're really getting into the details of what does that mean and how do we do that as a church? So, uh, so Restore Hope. So I want to talk to you about the idea of vision. Vision asks Two big questions. Vision asks two big questions. Number one, the first question that it asks is, uh, what better version of the future can you see? So, like, vision is trying to determine what, like, what, if you could imagine the world being different than it is right now, if you could imagine your spheres of influence being different than they are right now, what would that world look like? Like, what can you imagine the world to be like? And then the second question that vision asks is, okay, now that you can see it, now that you know what it is, how are you going to get there? Like, how are you going to get from here to there? So for what it's worth, anybody who's ever been a parent in this room, you have done this with your kids. Like you have imagined a version of the future for your kids. Right? Like you, you have this idea of who your kids will become, the kind of character that will be formed in them, the kind of people that you want them to be. And then you have kind of worked to say, okay, we have to, to do something to move them from where they are right now to, to the kind of people that we desire they would become, right? Like this is how vision works. You work your kids in that direction. And so in the same way, like your leaders at this church, part of our job as shepherds, like that's, that's part of our title is we have to kind of understand, like, what does a better version of the future look like for Alliance Bible Church? And then how do we get there from where we are right now? So, uh, so 15 months ago, your elders kind of asked this question in a room together. Uh, we spent... Uh, well, I don't know, like 12 hours, not quite that long, probably like eight hours. It, it felt like 12 hours. Sometimes these like you spend a whole day together and then you're just digging through and then there's like brain smoke in the room still after we've talked all of this time. So so we spent we spent some time together just kind of talking about what better version of the future can we see for Alliance Bible Church. So this was last spring, shortly after I got started here at the church. And, and, and so here are some things that kind of came up out of our conversation we talked about a, a church that would be more deeply engaged in our community, in our neighborhood. Uh, we talked about a church that would offer good news in a really compelling way to a culture that is pretty much over Christianity. Like, like folks have decided that, that they don't need church, that they don't need Christians, that they don't need, need organized religion, right? So, so how can we offer good news in a compelling way to that culture? Uh, we uh, talked about a church that could bring the presence of Jesus to our community in tangible ways, like ways that could actually be recognized and felt. We talked about a church that, that was committed to knowing 
even more deeply the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. Like, these were all the things that your elders wanted, your leaders wanted for this church. This was the better version of the future that, uh, that we could see. And so how do we articulate this version of the future? And, and I challenged the elders to say, okay, we have to do it in eight words. I was like, eight words is what, because it has to be simple. It has to be memorable. It has to be something that we can hold on to. And so this is what we came up with. We said, we are working together to restore hope to all people. That's, that's kind of the, the, if we could encapsulate everything that we said, the better version of Alliance Bible Church that we wanted to see, this is how we said it. We said, we are working together to restore hope to all people. Now, you might go, why did you, like, pick those words? Why did you say those words to kind of point to this? What, what is going on there? And so I want to, uh, that's actually what's going to bring us to the Gospel of Matthew. As we're reading the Gospel of Matthew, and he is, he's like right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Now, what is Matthew doing? Matthew is retelling us events that actually happened, but he's telling it like a story, right? He's adding a little bit of a narrative flair to this. And so Matthew, before Jesus gets out and kind of does anything in his earthly ministry, he actually kind of gives a vision statement for what Jesus was going to do. Like, like he, he states kind of at the outset before Jesus does anything, he says, here's the vision statement for what Jesus came to do. Here it is. And so, Matthew 4, 16, it says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. So, uh, so right now, Jesus is in a place, a place called Galilee, right? We got all of that information prior to verse 16. He's in this place called Galilee, and Matthew tells us why it is important that Jesus is in Galilee. He actually gives us some notes here. He says Jesus is fulfilling Scripture, right? This passage that comes from the book of Isaiah, uh, Galilee is this place of the foreigner. And, and uh, Isaiah was saying hey, there's going to be something that happens in the land of the Gentiles, the place of the foreigner, the place that uh, currently doesn't have access to God. They're, they're going to see the light. They're, they're in darkness now, but they're going to discover who God is, right? Like that's the idea. And so at the outset, our attention is not drawn to just one group of people, which is really important if you're an Israelite, because if you're an Israelite, your whole framework is about one group of people, one nation, right? But now it's drawn to all people. Like, it's opened up now to, to see this is not just a gospel for a certain group of people. It's not just a gospel for religious people. It's not just a, a, a good news. It's not just light for, for people who have it all figured out. No, this is light for every single person. So at the outset, this is what Matthew draws us a, our attention to. And so, so before Jesus heals anybody, before he preaches one word to anybody, he notes a need, a need that exists for these people. He says, people live in darkness and reap its fruit. That's essentially the message that we get. That's what Isaiah says, and that's what Matthew repeats here. People live in darkness and reap its fruit. This is a problem. This is a place of need. This is an issue that we live in. Like, you don't have to live in 2020 for very long to recognize that this absolutely is true, Right? We live in a land of darkness, and the people that we live among are reaping the fruit of darkness. 
right? And so, like, yeah, sure, like coronavirus, absolutely. Then, like, what about the violence that we're seeing take place in our country right now? What about the racial tension that is existing in our country right now? What about all of these things that are taking place? Like, and it's funny, like, you know, interesting, like, you look at 2020 and you can just kind of check off by the week something different that has happened that has kind of just been chaotic, right? Like, you don't have to live in our world very long to realize that this is true. And this is simply the chaos of a creation whose stewards have decided to turn against their creator, right? Like when God created the earth, he looked to human beings and he said, hey, you know what you're going to do? You're going to rule and have dominion. And so he gave us stewardship, human beings, stewardship over creation. And then what what did we do? Like we said, okay, we don't need you anymore. Like we're good. We've got this on our own, right? And so what we're actually seeing worked out in 2020 and then in all the years prior to 2020 is just the same pattern of darkness that was started all the way back in the garden when when creation stewards decided that we did not need our creator. And so it was that that disobedience in the garden when Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit. And that that, that eating of the fruit, it was based in a decision that, that kind of assumed, I must know better than God does. Right? I must, I must have a better idea of what is good. And so from that point forward, creation has been wrestling with the human decision to disregard God. Like that's what we're witnessing. And so as we look at, at 2020, but then like you look back to, I mean, 2020 actually like it's not unique. I mean, I think we are more aware of stuff because we have access and stuff like that. And 2020 is maybe unique in perhaps my lifetime. But as we look over like the breadth of history, like the things that have happened in 2020, they're they're not unique. But what we're seeing is that just like creation goes through these ebbs and flows of just letting darkness like happen because creation stewards have decided to turn against God. So that's what we're dealing with. The good news though, the good news that we saw here, like in this this little vision statement for Jesus' ministry, is that darkness is not the end of the story. Like darkness does not encapsulate the story. So before Jesus starts his ministry, what do we hear? We hear that the people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. That on them a light has actually shown up. A light has dawned. So so, uh, Matthew 4, 17, after we hear that this light has dawned, what is the very next thing we see? We see From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So ask the question, if there's like darkness all around us, if we live in a land of darkness amongst the people who are are in the dark, then how does the light break into the darkness? Like, how does the light actually begin to cross the threshold? And, and Jesus is going to bring what we see, like here at the very beginning, as the light comes into the darkness, is we see that Jesus is bringing with him something called the kingdom of God to earth. The kingdom of God is coming to earth. It's going to be at hand, right? Like, this is the idea that we get. So if, if the darkness is a symptom of a a break in the relationship between created and creator. Like if the darkness is a symptom of a break in our relationship with our creator, then Jesus, he's actually going to have to show people what it looks like to live in restored relationship with their creator. 
Like he has to, he has to give a vision of what it looks like to, to live in restored relationship. That, that the joy that can come in a restored relationship with your creator, the peace that can come in a restored relationship with your creator, the power that comes, the flourishing, that comes, like the justice that comes. when Like we talk about justice a lot today, right? But real justice, the mercy that comes in a restored relationship with your creator. That when the kingdom of God comes near, it's somehow a solution to this problem of darkness. So the idea that we get is that darkness is dispelled when the kingdom breaks in. Darkness is dispelled when the kingdom breaks in. Like when, when the kingdom comes close to earth, when the kingdom draws near to people, darkness is somehow cast away when that happens. Okay, so, so here's what we know. Alliance Bible Church, like us here in the middle of Bartlett, here's what your elders know, here's what your leaders know, your pastors know. Like this is, this is what we know. We know that Alliance Bible Church is this place where the kingdom of God is breaking into the world. Like the kingdom, the light is breaking into the darkness through us. This is like God's plan for breaking and shattering the darkness on earth is he's going to release his church to go and do this, right? So that's what Alliance Bible Church, we are like a people who dispel the darkness that exists. So if that's true, if that's like actually what's true, then the question is, like, how do you articulate everything I just said in a really compelling way? Like, if we are here to dispel the darkness that has been cast over people because they have chosen to rebel against God, like, how do we articulate that to folks in a way that is actually compelling that could draw them in? And so, uh, so how is darkness? Uh, we, that, that caused us to kind of go through a series of questions to say, okay, if we're here to dispel darkness, then, then how for our community, how for our world is darkness felt in a really tangible way? Like, how does, how does our community sometimes recognize, or, or how does the world that we live in even sometimes recognize that we are in the dark, that we live in a world of brokenness? Um, and so I think, like, the theme that we came up with as we talked about it was hopelessness. Like, hopelessness was the thing that we kept coming back to. Now, why, why is it hopelessness for this specific place that we live in? Why is that the thing that we picked? Well, because um, America, like, think of the United States, and think of what the United States is in the eyes of the rest of the world. And, and not, even, not only that, but we also live in the suburbs of America. Like, this is the, the quintessential American dream. Right? Like you buy a house, you have a family, you kind of build your own kingdom, right? Like that's the idea that, that, that you get. And even here, even in this place that is like the dream of dreams in our world, you can't escape COVID-19. You can't escape violence. Like you can't escape the racial tension that is happening. You can't escape the reality that, that even in this place where things are, are seemingly like perfect, this like utopia that we have like tried to dream up, you can't escape broken families. You can't escape bad decisions. You can't escape the political division that's happening. All of these things still create issues. So, so if somebody has said, like, I'm going to do something for myself, I'm going to make something of myself, and what that means is, like, to go to America and live in the suburbs, and then you discover, like, no, I still, like, there's still hopelessness even here. 
We still, and this is this is like what our culture is now coming to discover is, um, and it's the narrative of hopelessness is rising even amongst a younger crowd because they're recognizing all of these things that we strive for. At the end of the day, that we still have massive problems on our hands, right? That like that's what we're dealing with, and so this cultural narrative of hopelessness is arising. So, if that's true, then what? What if our community discovered real? and lasting hope by us showing them what it means when people live in a restored relationship with their creator. Like all of this discussion, all of this talking, it led us to ask this question, like what if our church, what if the people who were here could actually show the people who live around us, who are seeing hopelessness all around them, what if we could actually show them what it looks like the hope that happens when people live in a restored relationship with their Creator. So, so that's why we actually chose to articulate the purpose statement the way that we have, because hopelessness in our society, it's being felt more and more and more. It's being uh, seen, it's becoming tangible more and more and more. And so we have, yeah, this is our purpose, our, our statement right here. We are working together to restore hope to all people. That's what we're here for. That's what. That's our why. Like if we, you know, as as you talk about like all the things that you might do, there's always a question under that, which is why are you doing that? And this is our why right here. We are working together to restore hope to all people. Okay, so there's like a, a pause here because uh, I'm a very big picture person, right? Like I love the big picture. I love to talk about the why. I love to talk about like the things that are up here. But then there's actually the question of like, how does that work out on the ground? How do you do that? Like you can talk about wanting to restore hope all day, but like you actually have to have a way that you intend to do this, right? So this is the idea that we talked about with vision, right? Like we can envision a better picture of the future for our church, but we have to have some action steps to get us there. That's kind of what we're talking about. So, uh, so we're going to keep reading and actually watch how Jesus does it and then try to learn something from Jesus. So after we hear the vision statement for what he is doing, then in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, it says this. Immediately after, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So, so notice that Jesus' first step in dispelling darkness, like this, this, this darkness-dispelling ministry that he has been given, his first step is to develop followers. He calls out to Peter and he says, hey, follow me. So, so for what it's worth, whenever I've read this passage before, what I tend to focus on are the results. I will make you fishers of men, right? So what I hear when I read this passage is I hear, go, become a fisher of men. Like, that's what I hear. That's what I, I, I keep coming back to. And that's actually not what it says. It says, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. And then what's going to happen is that as you follow me and you go amongst people, as you do the things that I call you to and you go out amongst people, as you engage in discipleship and the act of learning from the teacher, follow me. And what's going to happen is that as you follow me, people are going to be drawn into the kingdom. People are actually going to see the darkness start to disappear around them as you follow me. 
So Jesus' strategy, like his way of actually like beginning to dispel the darkness, is he, he actually has to show people what it means to follow him, right? So we have not only a purpose statement, but a strategy statement, right? And, and you've probably heard us reference this uh, a few different times. But, but our strategy statement, it starts like this. It says, we develop Jesus followers. We develop Jesus followers. Like you want to ask, how are we going to actually begin to restore hope in the midst of our community? Well, the first thing that you need to know that we do is that we develop Jesus followers. We believe, like this is the, this is the Great Commission, right? Like go and make disciples, right? And so we don't say disciples because sometimes like you talk about disciples and people are like, what do you mean? And so we just want to be explicit about what we mean about disciples. We mean Jesus followers, people who follow Jesus, people who prioritize Jesus. We develop Jesus followers. So, so there are two notes about the strategy. Number one, the first thing to note is that you, like the people who are part of this church, we we are the objective. Like the people who call Alliance Bible Church home, we are the objective. So, so what that, that actually helps us to understand what we're not, right? So like that means that, that we don't restore hope by having the best music in the suburbs, right? Like that's not going to be how we're uh, going to restore hope. We're not going to restore hope by creating the best possible environment that we can create. We're not going to we're going we're not going to restore hope by like making the name of this organization great in any way. Like that's not what we're going to do. We don't restore hope by by putting our energy into those things. The way that we restore hope is by putting our energy into doing whatever we can to help you pursue Jesus more deeply. Like that's what we have to do. That's that's Jesus's strategy. So we, uh, we make disciples, we develop Jesus followers. The second thing, so the second note about our strategy is that, so, so we, the people who call this church home, we are the objective. That's the first piece. The second piece is that we all have a piece of responsibility in developing Jesus followers. So, so that means that it's not just a job for our pastors and leaders. When we say we develop Jesus followers, we don't mean that like, we develop Jesus followers. We mean that we, as a group, we, we as a church, we as the body of Christ, we work together to develop Jesus followers. We all have a responsibility in this. So, so what does that mean? Well, number one, it means that you are responsible for your pursuit of Jesus. You have to take responsibility for that. But, but also, what does it mean? It means that you are responsible for, for helping your brothers and sisters pursue Jesus more deeply. Like That's what it means to be a part of this community. And so the faithfulness of this church and the future of this church, it rises and falls on how effectively that we together are, are, are able to develop people who are going to pursue and follow Jesus. So, uh, okay, great, Jesus followers. That's really, that's really good. That's a good thing to strive to be. Could we give this some more direction? though? Like if, if that's all we said, like uh, Go and make disciples. Okay, Jesus, go and make disciples. I get, I like, I get what you're saying, but there's some content inside of that. Like, what does what is a disciple? What does a disciple become? And so, so we um, we kind of had that question. We we talked about that at at our you know eight hour meeting and and talked about what is a disciple? What does a disciple look look like? And could we articulate that in a simple manner? to describe what a Jesus follower might look like. And so 
What we had originally said was, we develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and go. That was our uh, kind of original strategy. This is how we're going to do it. And, and this past March, we had another eight-hour meeting where we got together and kind of talked and had more brain smoke and all of that. And so, so in March, we made a slight change to that. Instead of saying go at the end, we said we develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and connect. That's kind of... And, and so, so what's going to happen, actually, as we talk about the vision for this church... Over the next three weeks, we're going to really dig into each of those words and, and what we mean by those words and what we hope to see this church become through those words. But, but we're actually going to briefly look at each one right now. So first of all, we develop Jesus followers who worship. Who worship. Okay. So the most significant hope that Jesus brings us is the hope of a restored relationship with our Creator. We actually walk into restoration. This is how He, uh, you, you know... Um, kind of dispels the darkness that is upon us. And so, so when Jesus, he came, he, he clarified the law for people. And he said, you know, what are the, most, the two most important things that you can do? Number one is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? Like that's what's at the top of the list, right? So for us, worship is at the top of the list. This is priority number one for us. So everything else that we do flows out of this restored connection with God that we have. So, so we want to develop people who, who have a deep, deep relationship with their Father, right? Like this is what a Jesus follower looks like. And so this is why our corporate worship service is actually so important to us. This is why when COVID-19 hit, like one of the first things we had to figure out was how are we going to worship together? Because our corporate worship is this collective expression of our restored relationship with our Father, right? When we come together, we are collectively praising God for what it is that He has accomplished on our behalf. That's why also we spend so much time about talking about the kind of habits that you might develop in your own life because as you develop those habits, you kind of train yourself in what it looks like to just live a life of worship and not just worship at specific times of your day or of your life. Okay, so that's worship. We'll dig into that more next week. The second thing that we said is that, that we develop Jesus' followers who love. And this is the second piece of that, that greatest commandment, right? So, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the place where we really see that happen is like we, we believe that when God like brings us hope, when God restores his relationship with us, that it actually like changes the way that we relate to each other. Like because... There are a whole lot of people that I am now friends with, that I'm not just friends with, but I consider my family, who otherwise I would have had no other reason to be connected to. And, and now Jesus has joined us together. I think like one of the most amazing testimonies of this church is, look at how many generations exist here. Look at how many people I have to invest in in the next generation. And that is not a common experience amongst anybody in any generation, but we have differing levels. Like wise guys yesterday, like I'm this 20-year-old guy and I've got these 60-year-old guys all sitting at the table with me yesterday. <laughs> I probably overestimated the, the ages there a little bit <laughs> intentionally. Um, so... Uh, uh, so, but yeah, like there's this, like we get this experience of, of uh, relating to each other across generations, right? Because there's something greater than our age that unites us. It's Jesus. There's something greater than gender that unites us. It's Jesus. There's something greater than the color of our skin that unites us. It's Jesus, right? We have all of these reasons now to relate to other people that we wouldn't typically relate to. 
for whatever fallen reason, we might just choose to people who, who look like us and think like us and act like us. But now we, we love people who don't do any of those things, right? Because Jesus has joined us together. So, so uh, this is why we create opportunity for two specific things at Alliance Bible Church. Number one, we create opportunity for community. This is why we have Bible studies. This is why we have uh, small groups. This, these are why these things exist, because these are places where we can invest deeply in relationship with each other, because we acknowledge that building relationship is really challenging with an hour and a half or two hours on Sunday morning or three hours, depending on how long I preach. So, so that's really challenging to do on just Sunday morning, and so we create other spaces for that to take place. That's the first thing that we do is we create spaces for community. The second thing we do, we create opportunities for service. Opportunities for us to serve one another. So, so there are various needs that arise as a group of people who are trying to learn how to worship God together. Number one, like we have needs to, uh, for folks to help us facilitate worship, right? Uh, we have needs uh, to, to people who help people find their seats during COVID-19, right? Like that's a, a need that's being met. Uh, we're helping take care of the property during this time. There, there are needs that we have as a body as a result of that. We're supporting the physical needs of, of those among us by giving to the benevolent fund, right? Like that's one way that we take care of each other. We work to serve each other. And this is part of what it means to love each other well. So we find places to serve and we find places to dig into community. The third thing that we do is we connect. So, so connecting is, this is the outward expression of our love for God and neighbor. Like, so what we've talked about up to this point are things that happen in here. We worship God. We love each other. Right? This one takes those things that we do together here and extends them outward. It moves them Outward. So, so because we recognize that Jesus does not keep us focused on ourselves, but he moves us outward towards others. So, so I mentioned earlier, we said we changed this word. This word used to be go. Uh, and, and go was a little too ambiguous for us. It was not really clear what we meant by go. And so we're trying to describe how we relate to those who don't yet know Christ. And so, so as we discuss, we, we realize that actually like one of the existing problems that is arising more and more is just the reality of isolation. Like we have screens to keep us occupied. Now we've had COVID-19 to keep us locked away in our houses, right? Uh, we, we have developed newer and better ways to, to have our world just at our fingertips, which means that, that we're now given the freedom to disconnect from the world around us. And that's, a, that's just a reality that's occurring more and more in our culture. So if we said, okay, what does it mean for us, the people in this church, to turn outward? Well, what if we became people who connected? What if we became people who were able to draw others into relationship? And then through that connection, we might actually be able to understand something about them as we get to know them and understand their needs. Like we, we might actually see a way that Jesus could come in and meet the spiritual need that exists inside of them. So, so what does this mean explicitly? Well, when we talk about like being engaged in the mission and evangelism, you know, like you can think, okay, as long as I hand a gospel tract to somebody, like I've done my job. I've shared the gospel with them. I checked the box. I'm good, right? But this goes beyond that. This goes beyond actually understanding the people in our spheres of influence and understanding what their needs are and understanding how Jesus meets their needs. This is what connection is. Like it's knowing and being known. And so we're going to strive to be people who, who know those who are far from God, who, who are willing to be known by those who are far from God, that we might make a connection with them. 
And that in that connection, we might understand something about their needs. We might be able to see how Jesus connects to their needs. Okay, so that's, that's really a, a brief overview of what the next three weeks we're going to be digging into. So here's an implication. Um, I have actually a couple of implications. Number one, we don't do anything as a church that does not intentionally move people towards one of those three things or some combination of them. So, so when we have articulated worship, love, and connect like this, the reason we've articulated that is it, it helps us to understand what we do, but it also helps us to understand what we don't do. The things that we won't put our energy behind because like, we have limited resources as a church. We have limited people, right? We have to understand where we're going to focus our energy. And so these three things kind of describe if we can't put anything that we're doing into one of these three boxes, then we can't do it, Right? So, so when we plan activities, we ask the question, like, how will this foster deeper connection and love here? We don't just, like, plan activities to plan activities. We actually, like, try to create, we have to develop community, right? When we think about outreach, we're asking the question, like, how will this lead or support us in, in developing meaningful relationships with people, with those who are far from Jesus, right? We don't just do something for the sake of like having the community come to it, but there's an expectation that it will do something to enable us to connect with those people. Okay, so, so that's one implication. The second implication is our effectiveness in doing any of these things, it, it, it comes down to individuals in the church being able to take ownership of these things themselves. Right, like so, so for our worship to draw others, for our worship to actually be compelling to others, like what needs to happen is that, like, we actually need to be genuine and true in our worship of God, right? And if that's not true of us, then we need to figure out, like, what do we need to do to dig deeper in worship so that when we stand and when we're with people, our worship of God is genuine and true. For our love to draw others, our love actually has to move beyond Sunday mornings to go deeper than surface level interaction, that it might be something compelling, that people could see how we would be willing to lay aside our preferences for the sake of another person. For our connection to draw others, it means that we actually like have to get to know people that we don't yet know. That we actually have to be interested in them. We actually have to try to understand them so that we can understand how can, Jesus can actually like meet their needs and restore hope in their situation. So how do we plan to restore hope? We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and connect. So, so the arrows, what, what do the arrows function as? Well, as we worship and dig deeper into love, and then we start go connecting with our neighbors, what are we going to do? We're actually trying to draw other people into this process. So as we go out and connect, we're trying to draw others into worship and into community with us. And then we're trying to release them as people who will go and connect with their neighbors, right? And then we're trying to draw more people into worshiping and loving and connecting so that they, they might draw more people to Christ. Like, this is the idea. We want to draw people into worship and deeper into community. And, and then we want to send them out to go connect with their neighbors and then return here with them. Right? Like, this is the idea that we're building upon. We develop Jesus followers who worship, love, and connect. Okay, so what? So what? I just have two this morning. Number one, my question for you is really, really simple. What is your next step? So my first so what this morning, what is your next step? Take it. So as we talk about worship, love, 
and connect. Like if you could think of worship, love, and connect as like gauges, like on your, on your dashboard that all kind of show your different levels, like which of those gauges is filled up the highest and, and which one probably needs some more focus. Like that's, that's what I want you to think of. If, if worship, like maybe, maybe you need to like start figuring out how to have a consistent quiet time each day. Right? Like if that's what needs to be filled up for you, then you need to focus on that. Maybe, maybe it's love for you. Maybe you need to find a group to be a part of in this church. Uh, maybe it's connecting. Maybe you actually like need to know your neighbor's names. Like I would just challenge you, if you don't know your neighbor's names, have that awkward conversation where you go up to them and say, hey, we've lived here for five years, but I've never met you. And I'm really sorry about that. But here's my name and I would like to know yours, right? Like just have that conversation, have that interaction, show them a desire to reach out to them, right? So, so which of, how are those gauges looking for you? What's your next step? And then go ahead and take that next step. Is it in worship? Is it in love? Or is it in connect? Number two. I want to encourage you to find great joy in the hope that you have been offered. So our ability to restore hope is directly connected to the significance that that hope holds for us personally. So so if that hope is not ever present inside of you, then that hope will not flow out of you when you're meeting with your friends and your neighbors. You know, so, so our, we need to learn how to rest and rejoice in what we have been offered. So, so church, we care about this so much because we recognize that people are lost in darkness. And our desire is to help them see the light. We need the kingdom to break into our darkness. And we want to see the kingdom break into their darkness as well. So Jesus made all of this possible through his death. Right? And then in his resurrection, proving that he has power over death, this is the ultimate expression of his love. And so this is what I want to do this morning. This morning, I want to call us to simply rest in the hope that has been offered to us. You know what? There's darkness and chaos in our world. There is unrest and struggle. And Jesus has given us this place with these people those who are worshiping online with us, those who are here physically, we are joined together in the blood of Jesus to to learn who Jesus is, to follow him, to see his peace and his justice work itself out in this community. Jesus has welcomed us into his kingdom. He's actually made us right with our heavenly father. And he's promised us about a day that is coming where every single piece of creation is actually going to be restored into right relationship with him in church, this is really, really good news. And so I want, I just want to encourage you to hold that good news in your heart. Let that good news become a ballast, an anchor for your soul. You know, as we close this morning, we're going to enter into a song of worship, just acknowledging Jesus for who he is and, and what he's accomplished. And so uh, I'm going to pray and then we will sing together and then we will close our service. So would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for just the amazing way that you have chosen to to reach out to us, to dispel our darkness. There are so many other pursuits in this life that we could have gone after, but, but Lord, you've somehow drawn our attention to you and shown us the truth of who you are, and we're grateful for this. So, Lord, as we 
look to you. Lord, as we understand who you are, and, and Lord, as we look at the world around us and the hopelessness that exists, might you give each of us a vision for how we might be able to participate in the restoration of hope in our spheres of influence and the restoration of hope in this community. Lord, how we might actually be able to show people, to tell people, to reveal to people the good news of what it is that you have accomplished. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.